In this episode of 9-2-I Talks, Entertainment Weekly's Jared Hall discusses the Netflix series Queer Eye with Bobby Burke, Karamo Brown, Tan France, Anthony Porowski, and Jonathan Van Ness, and look back on some of the show's most poignant and hilarious moments. After five seasons, countless French tucks, seven Emmys, and lots of tears, their message of acceptance and equality is as relevant as ever. The conversation was streamed live as part of the 92nd Street Wise online talk series on July 6, 2020. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jared Hall, Entertainment Weekly Senior TV Editor, and I am super excited today for this conversation we're about to have with Queer Eye's Fab Five, Anthony Porofsky, Bobby Burke, Jonathan Van Ness, Karamo Brown, and Tan France. Hi, guys. So nice uh, to see you. Hi, Chad. to see you. Yeah, so uh, what, a, what a crazy time we're living in, huh? And um, especially a very interesting time for you guys with season five launching uh, in the midst of a pandemic, but of course, uh, nationwide protests and, uh, you know, the, the death of a man at uh, the hands of police. So uh, I want to talk about several things related to that, but, but I, I kind of want to start with that. Having a, a season launch in a, a very different time, a very different social climate than seasons past. Did you, did you kind of feel anything from the audience in those regards once they tuned in and were watching that, that there was a different feeling of um, needing this show maybe more than ever? Yeah, I think that each of us felt that from our social media feeds, people were, you know, saying they needed something to sort of escape, sort of to give them um, a bit of joy, a bit of hope, um, which is what I believe we've always tried to do, no matter in this time period where we're at right now or in prior seasons. Um, and I think that it's a very healthy thing. I, you know, I don't want to speak for the rest of the guys, but we're all about making sure that if you want to be able to go out there and lift someone else up and support these movements, make sure you're protecting others, protecting yourself, you have to start with self-care. That's always been the mantra of our show and what we've been trying to present. So it's nice that we could provide that outlet for people to decompress, to recharge, so that they can go out there and give it their all because collectively we need to be united right now so that we can real seriously see real systemic and real change for so many people who have been marginalized for so long. To, and yes, um, I had the pleasure to get to speak to um, Ashley Marie Preston, who's an incredible um, black trans activist. And she taught me one of the best terms I've ever heard as it relates to self-care. And she said, yes, self-care, but don't be a self-caring. And she said, what a self-care, because she said, you know, self-care is meant to be used to help to alleviate some of the stresses that come along with trying to fight for that systemic change, which is going to take, you know, so much longer. And I so appreciated your opening, but it's like in George Floyd, you know, sparked these protests. But since George Floyd's death, we've had more men, more black yeah. men killed by the police force. We've had uh, more deaths that we didn't even know about come up that have caused more protests. So George Floyd started this, but it's, this is, you know, so the short answer, yes, our, our, our fans definitely felt like, I think that they needed a moment, but I also think that more of our fans felt like this is the time for change. And this is the time to talk about change. And this is the time to like, not, um, this is the time to really talk about change. And so I think really what I felt the need to do personally was to 
make sure to amplify those voices and, and make sure that I could amplify things that pertain to my job on the show, but can also, or things that help me find joy. And I think that anything that can help me find joy and can also help uh, show other people joy, especially black people joy right now, because honey, we need black joy right now. Uh, sharing that is so um, helpful to the community so that you can use self-care to actually recharge as opposed to just saying, you know what, I'm going to just pretend that this protest isn't going on right now and watch the makeover show for eight hours. No, self-Karen, not that we're slapping self-Karen. We are not doing, we're not doing that. That's not what I meant. But you know what I mean? I meant pay attention. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, so many posts that we've seen, uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, dissenters are, are saying, you know, it's, it's a trend and uh, this is a moment that'll pass. And no, really, like it's, it's a movement. Sure, there was a moment that sparked this, but uh, there, there's obviously something much bigger at play. And, and Jonathan, you kind of touched on this about amplifying voices. I, I don't know if any of the, the rest of you want to speak to to um, how you or, or the show in general is is uh, working to do that as well. You know, for me, I, I realized that the platform that we are so lucky enough to have really needs to be used for good. And I think we've all five of us have felt that from the very start, Netflix and ITV and Scout. Um, I've taken the opportunity to really try to educate as much as possible. You know, obviously I still have a lot to learn as well. You know, I, I grew up with white privilege. I may not have grown up rich, but I still grew up with white privilege. And so it's constantly educating myself, taking the time to do so. And I used our social media platforms and our website to really give informative articles to try to teach the people who may not really get it, who, who aren't racist, but still don't get it. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, there isn't a instant cure for racism, but education is sure good medicine for it. Uh, you guys have uh, often spoken on the show. Each of you kind of have your own instances of uh, obviously dealing with discrimination, be it uh, race or, or uh, sexuality or religion and whatnot. Um, so I'm wondering, are, are you finding yourselves now, um, it, it, how you're taking your personal experiences and applying them. Because I, you know, I've talked to some other friends about this, ones who look just like me and we're like, you know, this isn't, this isn't about me. It's my time to shut up um, and, and just listen and, and help others. But I think there is also something to kind of the, the shared experience of, uh, you know, if you can relate in any way. So um, are, are you kind of feeling that yourselves feeling like, you know, uh, something has happened to me. Now's my time to, to use that. And, I, personally, I think um, uh, for me, this is purely me. I feel like um, telling my story isn't really the right time. And I do wonder if people sharing uh, their stories is probably a little tone deaf to a certain extent. I feel like now is the time to be ampli amplifying black voices. Um, yes, all of us have experienced discrimination um, at some point uh, based on what we have no control over. But I think that we are away, away from that right now um or we're a few probably weeks or months away from talking about that and making it um about our plight um and so as far as i'm concerned with it being pride month um talking about how um the black community is influenced um the gay culture in the west in particular um and focusing on those those stories instead of our own feels a lot more important than talking about 
our own experience. However, I will say this, um, uh, one additional point, um, having immediate conversations within our uh, own families or our groups of friends to be able to articulate what it does feel like to be marginalized, I think is important. Um, and it's not saying that we, we understand um, the plight of our black brethren. We're saying that we understand uh, to a certain extent what it feels like to, discriminate, to be discriminated against. Who are we to then discriminate against others? And by that, I'm talking about in particular our LGBTQ community. Yeah, Jared, if I can, I, I fully 100% agree with Tan and everything he just said. Um, but I would want to challenge you, Jared, to something. At the beginning of that question, you said that you and your friends have gotten to the place right now where you're like, this is our time to be quiet. And I understood what you meant by that. But I would actually encourage people who are listening to, in, in sort of a sentiment of what Tan just said, but taking it maybe one extent further of making sure that as you're learning and as you're you know being empathetic and as you're amplifying voices you're not so silent within with those friends because i think those dialogues need to happen so much more especially in groups of white people where um and especially groups of lgbt white people where we sometimes believe forget that because we're part of the lgbt community we forget that racism sexism um, you know, discrimination against trans people, gender non-conforming people, it still runs rampant within our community. And I think it's very important for us to look at ourselves and check and to say, hey, we're allowing Black voices to be amplified right now. We're, we're focusing on that struggle, but we also need to be checking and being like, hey, um, I noticed that all five of us all look the same. Why don't we have anybody else in this conversation that looks different, who could be Black, who could be any of those intersections, could be from a different religion, who could be disabled, who have a different gender identity. Why aren't they in this? And it's not about, for me, collecting friends, but it's about making sure that individuals who look like you are challenging what is in your environment by just looking around and having the conversation. Like on, on queer on queer eye when i think about every season that we've had in almost every single episode in one of like the the interview portions i call them kardashian moments i always try to figure out how i can relate to one of the heroes and that's something that's kind of like been my mo with everything but what i'm realizing with this is that because of my white privilege it's not something that i can necessarily relate to and it's kind of like this linear thing it's like you educate or I'm speaking for myself right now, but like you educate yourself and then you figure out how you can be an ally. What can you actually help with? What's appropriate? What isn't appropriate? A lot of missteps along the way, but thankfully I have people who I can lean to and resources that I have to make sure that I'm trying, just doing my best and trying not to botch it as I go along. But it's definitely a work in progress. But, um, but yeah. I also think that white privilege and white supremacy thrives in silence. So mm -hmm. by allowing your friends to not speak about it, like in, so obviously what, so, okay. So for instance, like I have been talking about uh, my HIV status lately. I mean, like yesterday, well, I don't know when this is coming up, but recently it was, um, you know, national HIV testing day. And so uh, I did, and it's been HIV AIDS. Um, there was like HIV, AIDS day, there's always a gorgeous day on awareness. But the point is, is that we were talking a lot about like U equals U, untransmittable equals undetectable and how amazing that is. But the problem is, is that in so much of the United States, because of really inherently racist state legislatures, especially black and brown men cannot get access to these medications. 
because of all of the bureaucratic hoops that these state legislatures put in. And then like it, the federal government also does some things to help, but actually like, especially with Trump, much more to hurt. So it's such a multi-layered thing to talk about. Um, and I think that if you are white, it's important to think about how your privilege affects your access to healthcare, housing, all of those things. And then when you're talking, because there's this other really annoying thing when talking about race where it's like white people sometimes tend to listen to white people. We tend to listen to people who look like us. So sometimes white people do need to hear from other white people. You know, it was kind of easy -er for me to do this because of these things. These are the reasons why it's harder for black and brown people. And it's our duty to have those uncomfortable conversations. It is a privilege yeah. to sit around silently. And we cannot do that. Um, and we cannot choose to, I believe for myself that we can't choose to not talk about systemic racism and, and white supremacy in this country because it's uncomfortable and it's not going to end in June and it's not going to end in July. I mean, the talking about it. Um, so, you know, we have to keep really talking about it because it has been a silent, that's how it thrives, you know, is this like whole silent thing. So that's what I think about it. No, totally hear you guys, and uh, and I certainly didn't mean that, mean that to uh, sound like I, I'm being we, silent. In, in oh no, we know, we know. That's why I said. That's why I said I knew you weren't. I, that's why I was like, I know how you, what you meant. I, so I, just heard that I was using so you as a. Often, but I've heard that really often. I totally know exactly what both of you were saying, and so I think that's just a really important thing to kind of echo, and not to change subjects from talking about something so serious, but. You know, Tan, I'm really worried. I didn't realize that the Kentucky Derby was back in session and that we were fully doing public <laughs> horse racing. And I didn't know that you were going to be a jockey so publicly and doing these sporting events outside. I don't know what the fans are going to say. You know, all those packs. Where's your mint julep, Tan? You know, it's like, I. Is it is it sparkling sunshine? What is the horse's name, honey? You, is it, the horse's <laughs> name is French Tuck. It's got its little, it's got its little saddle tucked and it's yeah. all ready to go. I'm, I'm short enough to be a jockey. <laughs> I think, I think that was his joke, honey. I could, oh. I could, no, it wasn't. It was literally just your top. It was my top. It was just your top. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> go on. So sorry. Really? Um, Whenever the moon gets so serious, sometimes I make a little jokey, and I've been thinking about that. <laughs> that's no, that's the you know that's the stuff we love to see to know that uh, this stuff isn't happening just uh, on on camera there. Um, but you know, I, still to the top of what we were talking about, some of the show's heroes, of course, have been uh, affected by by violence and, and shootings and and drugs. Tyreek in season five, and Wesley, of course, in uh, season four episode disabled, but not really. He uh, had an incredible transformation story to share his life over the last uh, well seven years. Uh, but Wesley meeting Maurice uh, Caramo, that uh, the ultimate message there uh, that, that they wanted to convey how, how society and people, uh, you know, want to, to pit black men against black men, but they are proving everyone wrong. We have a clip, I wanna take a look at that. Wes, do you need an apology? I, just, I don't. I don't think it's necessary for an apology. I prefer not you to feel sorry. I thank you for me being like in this position. I don't even feel bad energy from you. That's crazy. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, man. I'm actually empowered by the life that I was given that day. I've had a lot of time to grow. I'm definitely in a better space, you know, just striving to be the man that I know I can be. 
we're two black men and we're doing something that they don't want us to do. And that is forgive each other, but also uplift each other. I found purpose in my situation and, I, and it seems like you did too. Like I said, I just plan on doing great things from here on out, man. Hopefully we can both do some great things. Hey, man, I, I see we can do it probably together, man. Promo, that's specifically there. Well, first, I got to know what you, obviously you're playing it cool, calm, collected on camera, but were you nervous about how that conversation was going to go? Yeah, so what people don't know is that, like, as I'm in the car driving, both Maurice had given me a call the person who was the shooter and said that he was not willing to do this. He thought it was a setup. He thought that we were trying to ambush him and we were, he had never seen Queer Eye. So he didn't understand. So he saw the name Queer Eye and thought it was this makeover show from the nineties, you know, or something that, or the early 2000s that he didn't really understand like how the show has evolved. Um, and then we, I convinced him to stay with the help of our producer, um, Rachel Mendez, who was amazing. And um, through us double teaming and talking to him on the phone, we said yes. But then as we were pulling up, um, Maurice literally said, um, uh, I mean, not Maurice, Wesley literally said, I do not want to do this. I feel scared. I feel uncomfortable. And I, this, I can't do this. And so we had to stop. I had to stop the car and have this sort of intimate conversation about what fears was he experiencing? What, what was he going through? What, what did he think? Like playing out all the scenarios for him so that he could understand that this moment was only going to help him because he was being supported and because this was in a space where he could actually convey what he needed to convey so he could get the closure he needed. Because this whole moment was about closure. It was about helping both of them to understand that for them to move on, they need to go back to that moment and talk about how they were two strangers that then came to be perceived enemies that literally have affected each other for the rest of their lives. Um, and what I thought was so beautiful about that moment, which I'm so thankful to the network and to the producers for allowing me to uh, use my field trip to engage with those two men in that way, was it did show, first of all, that closure and forgiveness is possible, even some, some of the most extreme measures. And it was a lesson for people watching that, you know, if something as traumatic has happened to you, with time of healing and empathy and support, you can get to a place where you can grow through it. Um, but I also think it was very important for people who only hear about crimes between African-Americans and to, who don't understand how systemically that plays into it, where they wanna say, oh, black people are more violent to black people, which is actually not the case and not the statistic. Um, in that moment, it was able that, for people to see like, oh, these were two young men who were misguided. It could have been any race, it could have been any person, but these two young men, because of systemic issues, without even knowing each other, thought that the other was going to hurt them, so they both tried to hurt the other person first, sort of out of survival of the fittest. And what we saw now and what has continues is that they're helping each other. They're actually working together to do work in their communities. And I thought it was just a really beautiful moment. I'm just really glad the world got to see it. Yeah, that was, um, it was one that, you know, you kind of lean up on the uh, seat of your sofa as you're watching. Like, first, I can't believe that even happened. So kudos to you guys and, and talking them through that and convincing them to stay. But 
uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a really really powerful moment, and uh, I'm so glad you guys made that happen. And, um, if, and if I can say something really quickly, and this is this is something that I'm really proud about, not myself, but also not just myself, but the other four. Um, the castmates, you know, Jonathan, Anthony, Tan, Bobby, is that people sometimes forget as hosts, we actually have true skills that a lot of times don't get edited in, that where we're really helping a person through a journey um, that, you know, once we edit together, it seems like magic. But it's like, it takes a lot of times for like, you know, we'll get there with Jonathan, for someone who's been attached to a certain look, who's built a certain self-esteem around this look, there takes skill to not only do the hair and to make it look beautiful, but also to be able to coach them into, you know, feeling comfortable. Same thing for that conversation. And so I, I'm just giving ourselves a lot of times, I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, patting yourself on the back. I'm just so proud of us as hosts that we're able to constantly do that. And I hope that the audience recognizes that it, it's not just the magic of TV. There are five individuals who are really showing their expertise and going above and beyond. Yes. I just want to add that as hosts also, sometimes we are going to get distracted by a dog in a house when we arrive. And then we may neglect everybody in the scene at the beginning. And that's just the thing that happens, you know? A lot, <laughs> weirdly. I can't uh -huh. think as Corgi. Oliver, was that his name? Adorable. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, to, to that point, I mean, obviously you guys are, are a true ensemble. You are uh, just recognized as such from a Critics' Choice Real TV Award. So congratulations on that. But yeah, to that Thank point, you. I mean, you, you're all doing your own individual jobs and your own uh, areas of expertise. But um, Bobby, how do you guys collaborate with each other behind the scenes when the camera isn't rolling to make sure that everything you're doing works in conjunction with the other? I mean, there's a lot of conversation. Uh, honestly, there was way more in the beginning, but now we all know each other so well, it's so often unspoken. Like, I know what Tan's gonna need built out in that closet. I know Jonathan's gonna need a shelf if there's not one in there to put all the, the facial care. You know, I, I know the things that Anthony's gonna need. And so if there's anything special and unique for that hero, there's that conversation, there's a text or, you know, Karamo will text me after he's done and be like, hey, I just found out that there are, you know, there were some major, major, not issues, but a, a lot of heart with a relationship with a certain person in the family. Like if you can find pictures, that will really mean a lot to them. Um, so there's a lot of great things that we were able to communicate with each other that allow us to really get to the heart of things, like literally, um, even though we're not all able to be on each other's field trips. You know, I don't get to go with Tan when he's when he's shopping and doing clothing. I'm, I'm not with Karam on his, his things. Um, and so it's it's nice that we're able to all keep in contact on our group chat um, or just pick up the phone and give each other a call. Or we usually live in the same building when we're in the city. So knock on each other's door and be like, hey, listen to what I found out today about Tyreek. You went through this, right? How about we do blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's and also a delicate dance. Sorry. It's also a delicate dance with how the scenes are shot as well. Like more often than not, if I'm following up <laughs> Karamo, then I know that I want to bring like a little bit of like levity yeah. and, and and humor and just like unabashed and, and fun and joy and to a scene you know what i mean yeah and lots of dairy <laughs> um support those dairy farmers but um it's uh yeah because it's sort of like if it, some episodes are obviously heavier than others and it's always you want them to go through that journey but also kind of like experience the nuance of it as well yes there's a lot of fear that comes from conflict and going through it but there's a lot of joy in learning that there's a different way to live life that it's actually meant to be fun you know 
Jonathan, um, what are you what are you giggling about it? The, the way yeah, it looks yeah, like there's he, something like going on below you. So <laughs> 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 <It's a shirt. laughs> tan, tan, take the shirt off. You might as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well, Jonathan, while you're laughing and while I got you for season five, you guys went to the city of. Uh, brotherly love and as you guys have uh, visited different cities around the country Jonathan is there one thing that you would say is consistent with the heroes regardless of where they live ooh um uh yeah I feel like one thing that I think is generally been difficult for every hero to deal with uh, no matter the city was like the idea of putting their just their 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 privacy in the open and uh, feeling comfortable with us, you know, to talk about what those issues were and um, and I think you know that's probably the biggest thing and how much you're willing to talk about or not talk about and be vulnerable, you know, that publicly is I think. And then all of the really, like all the things that result from that, you know, all the things that come up from that are really like all of the different things that have happened um, through the five seasons. That makes complete sense. I feel like one, um, especially uh, it was, uh, yeah, season four. Well, yeah, John Stoner with the, with the Corgi. Um, one where it, uh, it's really coming to mind that it took him a little longer to open up uh, in talking about his uh, depression. Um, which of course we know there are, there are plenty of uh, stigmas around mental health, but um, is, is that one that you guys would, would also say it took you a little longer to, to get to the core of the problem, the, the problem? Yeah, I will, I will say with John Stoner, what I think was interesting about that is that what's true for a lot of people um, in our country, they get sort of stuck in this narrative that people have told them in their lives, their, their wives, their kids, their teachers, their, their friends. Like, and, and so for him, it was, you're the, 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 the guy who doesn't want to grow up. You're the guy, the college crazy guy that, you know, doesn't, you know, you never want to be an adult. And what is, what is difficult about when people put you into those boxes and trap you into those narratives is that you end up starting to try to live into those narratives so that people don't see the real you, so that they can't see that you're actually hurting, that you're going through something, that you're feeling alone. And so he was really good at putting on this mask of like, look, I'm wearing crazy outfits. Look, my hair's crazy. Look, I do all these crazy things. And it was, and, and as we slowly started having conversations with him, and I, I believe that it started with um, Tan first in the closet what, that I remember, is that immediately Tan opened up a jacket that had something explicit on the inside. And then he immediately said, well, why do you think that's appropriate with a daughter? And I thought it was, it was such a, cl a clear moment where somebody finally challenged this narrative where I'm sure he had opened that jacket 14 million times and everyone was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But finally someone said, this is not okay. And you could start seeing this sort of shield or this wall that he had put up that he was hiding behind that he didn't care get broken down. By the time that I got to him as the last field trip, I was like, I've been listening to what you've been saying. And each of the other guys have been showing you little glimpses of that this is not truly who you wanna be. So what is going on? And in that instant, it was just like, um, I'm depressed. I, I'm, I'm seeing, seeking treatment. 
No one knows. My wife doesn't know. And it was such a powerful moment. And, you know, I was really thankful because the person who went right before me was Bobby at a gym and they were working out and Bobby hit on it. And I heard a key word and I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you, Bobby, for cracking the last bit for me to be able to come in and expose that. And I think that's the power of the five of us to help people to put down their guard and to really get to the core of what's going on through each of our different categories. We're really good at tricking people to think they're there for new clothes, a house, some hair, <laughs> good conversation of food, but when in fact, we're just using it all to figure out what's wrong with it. I should also mention, Karama, if you saw me laughing really hard, it wasn't because of what you were saying. I was thinking of when you said, well, people really put labels on people and then you're stuck in that box. And I really wanted to say like how people refer to me as the super sexy guy on the show. And now I'm having to really live up to that. And now, now you're hard, just the man. jockey. You're I mean, the sexy jockey. Being such a sexy jockey has just been so difficult for me, but I'm mm -hmm. keeping that. I mean, you are the hot one in my eyes. Yeah. Like, no, you are sexy. <laughs> That's <in> the hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, something really important I think about the, um, you know, getting people to open up and be a little more uh, public about their lives. I feel like you guys have certainly uh, done the same over the years. And as I'm watching, you know, I, I feel like, like just when I thought I kind of like knew not everything there is to know about you, but you know, what makes you guys who you are, we learn little bits. Um, Anthony, you were, I don't know if triggered is the right word, affected um, by Wanda quite a bit, I thought. Uh, and, and where her story, her demeanor, her personality, took you. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about that and, and her approach to being a mother? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wanda was a, Wanda was a really, was a really in, in, interesting one. I, I certainly, there was something about, you know, this is somebody who really, she really, she really loves her daughters and that was very clear, but there seemed to be a lack in communication, which I know is like the essence, like problem in any, literally any relationship. And just the fact of, I remember there was one thing that, that, that kind of really hit me when I was, I was asking her when the last time she told, um, wow, you're making me remember this episode now. Um, I was asking her like, when's the last time you told your daughters that you love them? And I think she responded something along the lines of like, I don't have to tell them I love them, I show them. And that I, I remember really hitting me because I remember there were certain periods of my life growing up where I felt like I needed to be told that I was loved and I wasn't. Um, and, uh, and, you know, my own biological mother would basically say the same thing. It's like, I, you know, I don't have to say it. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a part that really triggered me. And I think how, you know, the way that that helped me, it kind of, I, I suffer from severe terminal uniqueness, whatever it is that I'm going through, I always think that I'm the only person who have ever experienced that before. And that's what's so nice about having conversations with our heroes where we're able to be open and honest um, um, and, and, and touch on like very specific little moments that may be triggering to us personally, um, where you get to have that conversation. And, and through, through that talk, you just realize that it's sort of like, oh, like this is a thing that happens. Probably if it happened to me and it's happening to Wanda's daughters, there's probably a lot of other people who are experiencing that as well. Um, so I think, you know, I, all of us do that in different ways, but I think all of us are, our best work is when, when we get very specific with certain things that, that, that trigger us, not only based on our own uh, personal experiences, but also what we see there um, in the world. 
And I also just loved how excited she was about asparagus, that she just saw asparagus in a grocery store for so damn long. And she like didn't know what the hell to do with it. And like, I hear you, it's an intimidating vegetable. It's very fibrous, but it has like this little artichokey part. Is it in the artichoke family? Like who, you know, she was really confused, but she really wanted to know how to, how to, how to, how to make asparagus. So we did some nice little brown butter scallops. And and then that night she was like, what is that smell? I am never eating this again. Okay, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, um, you guys had, uh, you'd already started shooting season six in Texas one episode done when uh, the pandemic spread, forced uh, things shut down. So I'm very curious uh, what quarantine and all of this has taught you about yourselves. Ooh. Uh, for me, uh, mine's been that I uh, don't usually take time for myself. I think on all of us are probably guilty of this, especially within the last couple of years. We travel so much for work, we are always on the go. Um, and so for me, um, the lockdown has really reminded me that I need to take more time to do the things that actually make me happy outside of work. I always excused um, my amount of work by saying, it, uh, I love my job, so it doesn't matter. And I do, I really do love the work that I get to do. However, um, there are other things that I love to do too. And, and I want to start to focus on those also and not sacrifice what I used to enjoy uh, for what I now currently enjoy. As long as that doesn't encroach upon my time with you, that's fine. I'm literally about to say, so I'm going to remove my time so from Jonathan claiming my time. Everybody, no. And I will start to do the things that I enjoy. <laughs> you know, no. I, I will say, I, I, I will say for, for myself, and I kind of see it, um, it with, my, uh, with, with my castmates as well, I think social media is such an incredibly important like, tool and this machine in all of our respective businesses and, and, and what we choose to do. And for me personally, it's like before COVID, there was always this pressure of like having to post every day and like got to keep it fresh and keep it very current. And it's been really nice to not have to not feel like I have to post every single thing that I'm going through to actually just do things for the sake of doing them. Um, It's a lot less pressure. And uh, that part's been really nice where it's like, yeah, like some things are still, you know, sacred and can still be private. Like when Neon ate an entire tennis ball the other night, I didn't feel the need to share that. And well, now everyone knows about it, but yeah, just ate the whole, <laughs> whole thing, just waiting for her to poop it out. It's going to be great. Oh. Anyone else want to add to that? Or perhaps I just realized I enjoyed being home a lot more than I thought I did. Um, it's been very nice to be home and, and just spend time with my husband and do yard work and keep myself busy doing neighbor's yard work because I've run out of my own yard work to do. Um, but yeah, just being home and not being on a plane every day has been very, very nice. Bobby, I would like to encourage you to feel comfortable in knowing you can come to my house and do my yard work anytime you'd like. <laughs> like, I just want I just want you to know that's an option for you. And I want to make that. Available. Also, he likes, he would like you to come and clean his house. And if you can't do it, anyone who just turns up could also. <laughs> anyone, anyone. <laughs> Bobby, you should plant him one of those, you should plant him one of those Skittles trees in his backyard yes. so that he doesn't have to buy. Oh, so oh no, I was them. over there the other day and I was trying to talk him in to planting fruit trees. And he's like, why? And I'm like, well, because, and he's like, but why? 
So yeah, no, I, tried with real, I tried with those real. I'm stuff. sorry, Bobby, but I only take my fruit advice from Anthony. So if Anthony would have said I needed a fruit tree, <laughs> I might do it. Okay, Caramo, you should get a beautiful lemon tree. That would be really nice. Caramo, no. apparently Jonathan Van Ness can teach you this stuff. He's apparently developed a green thumb over the last few days. I've seen on uh, his Instagram. Social media, I did see that too. I, I asked him if he ever had okra, and he didn't know. I'm really <laughs> curious for you to try okra. I've had it. I've had like, I've had it fried. Like when you, I think I've had it. <laughs> oh, Jonathan, I know you're not the biggest fan of Indian food, but Indian okra is gorgeous. I promise. It is. I love cheese nuts. Don't, don't trust that. Okra is gross. You really do enjoy Indian food. Yeah, cheese nuts. <laughs> Cheesy garlic now. Sorry. <laughs> I love chicken tandoori too. Yeah. Um, I just want to mit- say one thing really quickly before you ask your next question, Jared. Is that no, I'm Jared- not a jockey. Shut up. <laughs> no. Jared, Jared, most people don't know, but Jared was our very first interview as a fan. I know. Ever. Yeah, I know. And so you have been dealing with our offbeat tangents forever. And so I just want to say thank you to you for your <laughs> patient to getting, getting us Getting us cinnamon rolls and Ooh, coaxing us to talk. Ooh, I remember those cinnamon I'm rolls. I'm not going to say thank you. I'm going to say more fool you. Have you not learned to not deal with us? <laughs> Look, this Speak is like yourself. These are the great perks of the job, uh, getting to getting to share these stories and, and direct people to TV that they should be watching. So... Uh, really, the, the pleasure is truly. We on. could isolate the last like minute. Um, there was like forty seconds where I was like gazing away, and I was literally imagining the cinnamon rolls that whole time. <laughs> it was like in a movie when you guys like when everything else goes to like indistinct voices, uh-huh. and I was like, <laughs> it was a cold Jack. room with like rectangular sectional, and then there was just like a shit ton of cinnamon Big rolls out. Yeah, I drank a diet coke studio. that day. Oof. Yeah. Mm. Remember it like it was yesterday when it was real. You know what I remember about kiss. John Stoner's day when we was. went to go figure skating? The day that we went to go figure skating with John Stoner was the same day that Michelle Kwan was here. Or, well, it was there. It was in Kansas City. And it was also the same day as the women's all-around individual world gymnastics final. And Michelle Kwan was supposed to leave that night. She was supposed to leave the afternoon. But then she was like, what are you doing this afternoon? And I was like, oh, I'm going to um, get to do his haircut. And then she was like, Oh my God, can I come watch? And I was like, but then your flight. And she was like, I know, I think I might just like stay in Kansas City. And then I was like, and then I was like, but then the world gymnastics um, individual all around finals tonight, do you want to watch it? And then she was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. And then I was like, <laughs> and that was the night that we became friends. And I was like so nervous because I was like, oh my God, Michelle Kwan's going to come to my house and we're literally going to watch the world gymnastics individual all around finals. And we did. And we've like literally been friends ever since. And that was on that episode. <laughs> And remember when and she followed you on Instagram? That, you cried in Australia. No, but that one, that one, that that. Yeah, the first time you hung out with her was at ninety two Street One. Yes, and yes. I was wearing that green top and those purple Vetmont shoes, and I love them so much. Ugh. Full circle, circle. Yeah, love that. My cats were so pissed that I screamed like that. They are literally fighting so intensely because I screamed like that. <laughs> so, so was us with earphones. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, also during uh, Kansas City, um, an episode that really, uh, and I'll try not to get teary-eyed talking about it because band was also a huge part of my life and uh, my my high school years and high school experience and, and my band teacher, band director was just uh, the greatest person in the world. Um, but also that same person for you, Kathy Dooley. Um, you know, the, the, the episode subjects are called heroes, but she really, really seems to be like the epitome of the word for you. And we have a little clip from 
uh, the, the conversation you guys had at the end of the episode when you convey that to her. Quincy, like ever since I've left, has had a very like particular kind of painful place in my heart because it was very, like as much as I loved being a Blue Devil and having an experience here, it was very hard. But one thing that you did, you know, for me and other kids like me is you always treated me the same as, as, as if I was like anyone else. And as an LGBT person, I think, you know, so badly, like we just want to feel normal and like not treated differently. You always did that. And I just feel like my scars were very much healed like this week. It just, it really is very moving and you have such a part in that. Thank you, because the, well, the arts are an amazing, amazing vehicle to, you know, be able to, you know, cry and emote and bring all those emotions to the forefront so that we can all share what makes us human. Yeah. We couldn't be more and more proud of you. And I love so, you to pieces, guys. Thank you so much. Take me back to, like, are, are those uh, conversations with people like that, I mean, you know, it, it's not often that we really find ourselves sitting face to face with people uh, who meant that to us. So kind of take me back to that moment, that entire episode, really. What did that mean to you that that you got to do this? It still feels really surreal that I was in my high school sitting with Kathy Dooley and had the four of you there. And um, I mean, that's like the only time I've ever seen in that opening scene when we go to the gym, like my grandpa is somewhere in the background. And that's the only time I've ever seen him cry. And like... I mean, really, like in that last scene when I'm talking to Kathy and I think I say something like, you know, all of the, everything that I went through in Quincy that made it so hard that I think, you know, after my book came out, I think that was a lot more, you know, more clear um, to kind of bring all of that into this, to, you know, I, I wrote about my nickname Jack in my book and and that was my nickname the whole time I lived in Quincy. And so to kind of find myself in this life with these people back there, um, kind of using so many of the things that I've learned to help this person who I look up to so much, but also kind of knowing that, I mean, frankly, Kathy Dooley is like an enigma, honey. Like she's gonna wear like seven patterns if she so chooses and she is gonna like, so she'll like take our our suggestions, but she's also, she's just Kathy Dooley, she's gonna do her thing. And I love that about her. So she's just so incredible, but I thought, really what was so oh my god this is where I don't get choked up for me what was so moving about that was putting what made that so hard for me to do aside and realizing like what that would have meant for me then seeing the five of us now being there and realizing that like there's this whole world outside of Quincy and someone from here can get out and so to know that that was an opportunity versus like something that like, you know, growing up, like I, you know, I just, I physically didn't think it was possible to do what I, what we have done. I didn't think that could happen to someone for, where, you know, where we were really from. So um, I think that is what was so, meant so much. And I'm happy that I have gone to therapy twice a week for this long to be able to compartmentalize those things, to be able to like do my job, you know, on the show and not be like a blubbering mess uh, when we were there. Cause it was challenging. I just. I just want to add one thing about Kathy Dooley. She is the only hero where the goal, I was actually supposed to make something with her. And I full on like had a conversation with her about food. And I was like, so like, what are you, what are you interested in making? And she's like, 
you know, I, I eat when I get home and like, I just go to, she goes, it's like a, a quick and go or like some kind of a gas station situation to get a sandwich. And I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if like you learn how to make your own sandwich? She's like, no, no, they make it perfectly. <laughs> and then she was just like, no, like she, it was just a non-negotiable. It was a non That's why she had that moment for 32 years. She couldn't change hairdresser. She, but like, like, you know, sometimes there's like a tiny ounce of willingness and I can just like kind of chip away at that. Zero. Mm-hmm. Like she's gone through her whole life without ever making a sandwich and, and, and she's, she's going to continue the rest of her life. But it's you know, just like, not her thing. Totally, totally. But I have talked to her. We still talk like quite often. She's like close with my mom. And I do truly feel that even though like, I mean, her priority is always going to be that music program. And even when she like doesn't, like when she's like retired, it's it's probably still going to be that. Um, but mm-hmm. I do believe that she has taken more time to slow down. And I do think that a lot of, I mean, she's sent me a few pictures of herself because unfortunately this thing happened to me with her that hasn't happened to me in years where like I got really controlling about who does her hair. Like the longest time ago, I was like, you don't own your clients and they can go wherever. And I really like subscribe to that. And I And the only person who does not, get that rules my mom obviously but then accidentally like Kathy Dooley fell into that too so now she literally hasn't had a haircut since like April 4th 2019 so now it's just like really like down to here <laughs> um like I gave her like a quick trim like before like she was in New York visiting oh it was before the Today Show and I gave her like a really quick trim then hasn't had one since and I really just <laughs> don't want her to go anywhere else and I know she doesn't care anyway so I'm like I just want to do it yeah well, good reason to, to make little trips back home. Hey, um, you mentioned your mom is um, Kevin. Are, are they dating yet? Did you hook them up? Is he your stepdad? Oh, my mom is just not about that dating life right now. I, I really wanted her to get a cat. She won't even get a cat. So she's just not about that life. But that would be so fun because then me and Katie could be step siblings. Sure. <laughs> and point. then her husband would be my brother-in-law, which would also be fun, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Tan, I'm going to uh, direct this one to you first. The, uh, the, the show is, of course, about um, helping these heroes evolve and be the best versions of themselves. But how does that translate to each of you? How have you evolved as a, as a host? Um, it's interesting. You had said earlier on that they, share, they have to share so much uh, of their story. And one of you had mentioned that uh, that takes such courage and it really does um i think the the way i've changed the most and i i I believe it's the same for all of us most of us if not all of us is that we've become a lot more open on camera on our own show i think we all went in with an agenda of we're willing to share x y and z but not a b and maybe not even c um but but that gets stripped away quite quickly and so the things i talk about on season four, five, uh, even uh, six, are things that I wouldn't talk about, I wouldn't have thought I would ever talked about on season one and two. Um, And so I think the beauty of our show is that we are all willing to grow. We're all willing to realize that in order to make um, incredible connections globally, that we have to be willing to open up about who we really are. What did you just say, Tan, about we all came in with different what? Expectations of what we're willing to share. But before that, like all different, um... he said Zed. It was no, Zed, no. <laughs> you said, no, said different like prerogatives or different intentions of like what we were gonna. Yeah, like, what, kind of. Yeah. Hopefully by season eight we'll be in a polyamorous relationship. If I have anything to do with it, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just we're very close to that. I feel like we're a week away. 
Not as close as I you, wanted to you, say. You've been, you've been, you've been saying that for a few years now, though, Tanny. And Jonathan, we're just, we're just that's a week fair. away. <laughs> that's the way we should do it. Bobby, do you have anything to, to add to that? To that question, I, you know, I, I keep thinking a lot about your episodes, especially like with with Noah, uh, most recently, and and you know those conversations you guys had. But but to the broader picture, in any way, you've evolved over the seasons. I, I mean, Tan was very right when he said, "I, I think I speak for us all." Um, I, I felt the exact same way. You know, I one of the things that I said to the producers when we had lunch in my home before we even started filming was, "Okay." I'll pretty much talk about anything. Just don't don't make me breach religion. Don't ever ask me to go into a church. That's where I draw the line. That's where I will I'll quit. I won't do it. Um, and of course, you know, three episodes of that thing. Um, I'm I'm a little better with it now. Um, you know, of course, walking into a church in southern Georgia, um, it's very different than walking into a church um, in the middle of Philly with a gay rainbow on the side and a gay pastor. Um, it was definitely, I felt more ease walking into um, Pastor Noah's church than I would have um, at Mama Tammy's, even though in the end, I, I would absolutely comfortable walking into Mama Tammy's church now, but at the time it wasn't. Um, and at the time I had to know where to draw the line for my own mental health, you know, where we're there preaching for everyone to know your limits, to know your boundaries, to be able to say no for yourself. And for me to have not done that would have been hypocritical. And so I, I stood my ground that day, even though there were some people who were not happy that I wouldn't walk into that church. Um, but again, you know, a few years later, having grown, having met Mama Tammy, having fallen in love with her, made it very, very easy for me to, to walk into atonement and to meet, you know, Pastor Noah. So there's been a lot of things I think every single one of us have ended up talking about that we absolutely was on our, we are not talking about this list. Um, and it's just, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've seen how our show can help people and it's empowered us to share more because when people can relate to us, they can relate to the situation and they can, they can heal as we've healed. And so I think a lot of our willingness, yeah, I think a lot of our more willingness to be open is the fact that we see how us being open about the things that have hurt us in our life and that we've made it through can help millions of strangers that we're never ever going to be able to physically be in this in a room with them but through the show we can and we can help even if even if there's nights that we go home from filming and we literally cry ourselves to sleep there was a lot of those season one and two for me um it's it's worth it in the end obviously we we've, we've touched on a lot of the uh the more serious moments uh the the, the moments that um you know certainly make us cry as you mentioned but there are also some very funny moments on this show. Uh, you guys, of course, are uh, so much fun together. Um, Anthony freaking out over a Corgi uh, is, is certainly one of the most uh, <laughs> recent highlights for me because I felt the same way watching that. Actually, there's been a lot of dogs over the past two seasons. Is that your doing? Sure has. <laughs> That's um, not fair. It's a, you give, no, it's not his doing. We, we, like, oh no, it's no, no, no. I'm saying there sure has been a lot of dogs, but I have. Well, I thought you no said what he that. said is that you're doing. I thought you meant like, oh yeah, that's me. Also, our show oh. is like um, <laughs> set. Yeah, Laner, Laner, Laner loves a dog. Jen Lane is to dogs what I am to cats. Like one's yeah. great, but sixteen is even better. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, um, I, it, in terms of uh, those, those fun moments, um, Anthony, I know you got a lot of grief that first season for all of the avocado. We've of course seen how wide, uh, you know, uh, your, your food knowledge is over the other seasons, but you had a moment of vindication uh, where, where uh, we found out that it's okay to put curry oh. in guac. We have a clip of that as well. Did you make this guacamole as well? Yeah. Yes. Because I always put lime juice in it. That prevents it from browning. Put sour cream is better. Okay. I've gotten a lot of attitude for putting Greek yogurt in my guacamole. It's the best but... thing. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. It is not crazy to put dairy in guacamole. It's creamy. And keep them green all the time. Boom. Mic drop. That was such an, uh, a, a look of joy on your face. I mean, take me into that. Was that, uh, I mean, relief, vindication? Did you, like, had people really convinced you you were making it wrong? I really thought I was over it, but clearly I wasn't. Because um, when I saw that guac with the, and it was with sour cream, just to clarify, I still did put in Greek yogurt, but I stand by that option because it's tangy and it's a lot more dense and it just holds really well especially if you're going to let it go to room temp, it just stays really nice and thick. Um, I was, what annoyed me the most about like the whole putting dairy and guac thing was like, I didn't freaking invent this. It's not like I came up with some wacky thing that like no one's ever done before. Like people like in Mexico, they've been putting crema and, and sour cream and like cotija cheese even over guac for, for, for like hundreds of I years. Like it's not even sour like this. cream and guac. I'm obsessed with sour cream and guac. Let me just say that. The Greek yogurt it's not, thing, I'm still trying to wrap my but, head around it. I'm just being honest. But it's yes, like, it's a different version. Of, no, I love your adventurousness. It's, 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 I love it's, that about It's dairy. It's there is something about guac that is like, because then I, I, I did go through a spiral like when it first started coming out. And I was sort of like, so is guac the one thing that like you're not supposed to mess with? And then I, I looked it up and I remember Jean-Georges when he opened up ABC uh, Casino and he was putting peas in his guac. And I was like pissed off because I was like, oh, I love my peas. Like I should have come up with that. I thought it was so brilliant and it's really delicious. So it's like people have been messing with it for a long time. And like, there's a lot of controversy that comes with it. And it's Mr. just, Brofsky, I- Mr. Provsky, I've got a follow-up question about um, guac. I don't, I've never asked you and I wish I had thought of it before now. Would you avoid yeah. eating guac in public just in case people made fun? <laughs> Would I avoid eating guac? Yeah, in like would you, you know, get a picture of eating guacamole? No, 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 no. I love it. I order it all the time. I okay. can't not order it. I get if I'm getting takeout or if I'm like eating it. Well, when I was eating at restaurants, I would always get like two extra sides because it's good okay. on literally everything. Okay, okay, yeah, it's the best. The best. Liza uh, wants to say hi before she has to go. Oh, oh she, bye, really, <laughs> she really had to go. Like I'm done. <laughs> Well, I have one last question here uh, for you guys. Uh, the show has been honored with seven Emmys over the past few years, but the one that has evaded you so far is in the host category. So in regards to your role as host, why do you feel like you should be recognized? So if I can, I wanted to say this really quickly. Um, I think that all the Emmys we've gotten is just an honor just to be in that room because I think when we started this, none of us even thought that was possible. You know, we're constantly just surprised that, you know, our skills mixed with a great producing team and these 
heroes that are so open that we're being recognized. But I think sometimes people forget because we're labeled as the Fab Five that they forget that we are television hosts. We are not, we are put in front of the camera and we are told to guide this episode to the end. And I think it's, it's a true skill that people have, but I think sometimes because of the fact that we're friends and the fact that we hang out all the time and that we make silly jokes, I think sometimes people forget that, that we have truly um, done the work and our expertise in our fields. Again, it's sort of like what I said earlier, I wanna echo it again, is that you know we are truly helping individuals in our categories more than you see. We shoot for somewhere, um, you know, my field trips could be three hours sometimes. I know Jonathan's as well can be very long as well. We shoot for a long time, Tans as well. All of our field trips are long. Anthony will cook something that takes forever. Bobby, we, you know, know how the designing of the home. And, and, and it gets brought down to like a five minutes for each of us. And I think people forget like, oh, it looks like very quickly, but I want people to know that we are so proud to be the hosts of Queer Eye that we are so proud to use our skills to make people have better lives. And we're just excited that people continue to enjoy the show and enjoy us as an ensemble. And, um, you know, if, if an Emmy nod for host comes, none of us will complain um, at all. Um, but I think it's one of those things where we're just very hopeful that people will truly understand that we are skilled hosts and that we're truly doing something that takes a lot of technique. I, I wonder if, um, and I have wondered this, if people assume that because we're not on a stage, because we're not on a competition show, that that is the only version of what a host is, that they are guiding the show from start to finish, uh, and they're there to captain that ship. We do the same, we just don't do it in a studio. We are doing it as a fivesome, which is not normal. What that is not normal for a regular, like a competition style show. And what you in non controlled air conditioning many times, yeah, in non controlled air conditioning many times, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are we're tested by the elements. Um, and so I think that that's why we have not been seen as hosts because we're not in a typical. Uh, studio format or a hosting format. Master however, of Ceremonies format. Yeah, yeah, however, I think what we do is exactly what um, traditional hosts do, which is usher the success of each episode and make sure that that audience is wildly engaged for every minute of it. Well, I think I see a perfect spot right there behind Bobby for one of those trophies to sit, so. <laughs> it, 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 it would be the first in our homes, we'd love it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Well, guys, look, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts about uh, the most recent seasons. And I hope you are uh, safe and well where you are. Uh, it's like this quarantine might continue a little bit longer in some places. So uh, stay safe and uh, congrats on all the great work. It's nice to see you. Thank, Thank you, you, Jared. 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 You too. And everyone wear a mask. Bye. Wear a mask. My gosh, wear a mask. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92Y.org archives.